Welcome to the Lead with Empathy podcast. I am your host, Holly Logan, and here we are going to have meaningful and hopefully some fun conversations about motherhood, parenthood, illness, disease, physical and mental wellness, nutrition, and beyond. And as the title implies, we lead here with empathy. With that said, let's dive into the episode. Today, we welcome Hannah Gill to the podcast, owner of Ebb and Flow Birth Co. Hannah is a doula and birth educator who specializes in VBAC, which is vaginal birth after cesarean support and cesarean support. She was, was, I say, a operations supervisor for a biotechnology company with a bachelor's in human biology and disease and master's in forensic biology with a concentration in forensic analysis. Wow. But recently gave her notice so she can focus on her business. That's quite the pivot. She's also a wife and mom of two littles in Indiana. If there's one thing you will learn about me, it is that I love talking birth, but also empowerment and independent decision-making for our personal health, but particularly in pregnancy and birth. We go into how Hannah helps women decide what is best for them personally by being informed. I find that a lot of women struggle with that confidence piece and transitioning into motherhood means making a lot of hard decisions. And I hope you will be inspired listening to Hannah today. We joked after that she truly has a radio voice and you could meditate to it. So I think you'll really enjoy her. Hannah and I have also been working on a free guide from the both of us for expecting your new mothers. So be on the lookout on our social media pages, which I will link in the show notes for those details. But with that said, let's welcome Hannah to Lead with Empathy. Welcome, Hannah, to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you because it's honestly a subject for me that I always love talking about, which is birth. I have an intro already, but will you talk to us about how a biotech company operations manager becomes a business owner as a doula and birth educator? And what's your story there and what brought you to this passion? Yeah. So the majority of my education and career has been in the health sciences, medical field, biosciences, all of that. And I actually got pregnant with my first at the end of grad school um, during my master's program. And basically after I had kids, everything changed uh, for what I wanted out of my life. And my first birth was extremely traumatic, which is kind of what escalated me into first becoming a childbirth educator and then a doula after that, after my second birth. So it's really just my birth experiences that kind of changed uh, what I wanted to do and what I was passionate about and kind of sent me on that trajectory into something different besides the the hard sciences. So it seems to be the theme in a lot of my podcasts that these things happen to us and then that's what leads us to a new passion. So it's just really cool that, that this is what you came to uh, in terms of birth. So when we were chatting before through email, you told me, you said you help women take ownership and responsibility for their decisions throughout pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Taking ownership and responsibility and decision responsibility What do you mean by that? And what are your primary means of helping women to do that? Yeah. So the main thing that I've seen a lot just since my experience of becoming a birth educator and a doula and just really being more aware of my own health and not just in pregnancy and birth in general, but it's on us as individuals to take the responsibility to make our own decisions for our health, especially in birth and pregnancy. I feel like so many people just hand over their autonomy and decision-making power because they're worried about, okay, if I make this specific decision and there's a bad outcome, then that blame is on me. But When you think about it, when you become pregnant, you choose to become a mother, you choose to have a pregnancy, like that's a big responsibility to have children is a huge responsibility. Even if you adopt or any time you have a person that you're caring for, that's a huge responsibility. So every decision you make throughout that process should be your decision. And you should know why you're making that decision, what your motivation is behind it, and not just saying, oh, I'm going to make this decision because my best friend did. 
or because my doctor is telling me to, or my grandma's telling me to, or whatever. You should really know inside of you why you're making those decisions and the risks and benefits of all the decisions you're making, because no decision in pregnancy and birth or even postpartum is risk-free. There's always going to be risk. From talking with people in my life, friends, family, when I was in practice, whatever it was, I think that's the hard thing that women struggle with is the idea that there is always going to be risk, right? And mm-hmm. so like there's a risk of having a vaginal birth, of course. There's a risk of having a C-section, of course. We can't take away every risk. And I think that's right. what's really hard, especially I love social media for certain reasons, but I think also we put idea it puts ideas into people's heads and mm-hmm. um, just different stories that they hear and putting in their minds that that those negative sides of birth of what this could happen to me or this could happen to my child. And unfortunately, we can never say there's no risk, right? But that's really hard for women to accept or understand. Mm -hmm. And that's what when I work with my clients, I just I try to like in our prenatal appointments, especially or even just chatting with people on social media, just really getting them to understand that you have the power to make all of these decisions. You just have to choose to make them. And you have to know your motivation behind those decisions and knowing not just being like educated on things, but knowing deep inside of you why. So if you're say you're scared to get an epidural, well, why? Like I I call it the toddler questions, like reasoning. So Mm. ask why. Okay. Then you have an answer. Ask why again until you get down to the very end, like be all of what your why is um, and why you're making those decisions and just being collaborative with your birth team, especially And not just letting them make all the decisions for you, but having your wants and needs and desires as part of the conversation. I think a lot of women today struggle with just listening to that mom gut because of everything we see and we hear. I have one client that I worked with that I think at one point I just told her, I'm not here to make that decision for you. I'm just here to talk to you and give you some information and you have to decide what feels best to you. Yes, there is often a why, like I read this thing, I don't feel comfortable with this, but sometimes I think it comes down to just having, listening to your gut. I truly believe from someone who is trained in a lot of these things, at the end of the day, I still believe in the mom gut. Oh yes, like follow your intuition 100% because the big thing is, is like we see all these things on social media, no matter what you choose to do, someone's going to judge you for it. Yeah. So just go with your gut and what feels right inside of you. And if you're questioning something, then that's like a sign that, okay, maybe that's not a good decision. I think you should always go with your gut and intuition, like your gut instinct on what feels right for you and your family because your situation is so unique compared to anyone else. So you can't compare your situation to anyone else. And I think women also struggle if they have um, like a traditional birthing place like an OBGYN versus a midwife versus a home birth or anything. They have struggles with communicating that because then they don't want to come off as like a difficult patient Or they don't want to come off as someone who's like conspiracy based. You know, they just want, they're really trying to communicate to their, maybe their private practice OB or who's very traditional, very much follows Western medicine, or maybe the mother has to because they have medical conditions, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So there is a place definitely for a very medicalized birth, I guess. I I don't know if I like how I said that, but you know what I mean? For some women and for some babies, say in utero, you know, baby needs to be followed by certain medical providers that you can still follow your gut and your intuition and what you want to do. It just may mean you do need to follow more of a um, recommended or required medicalization of your birth. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. So that that's a big, good point, because I always tell people that 
I mean, you are hiring these Mm -hmm. practitioners, like you are choosing them. And so many people are worried or scared about hurting people's feelings. Like, oh, well, they're so nice, but they could be nice and not support what you want um, or what you need. So I always try to remind people that, okay, if you need to be in the hospital and see an OBGYN and have a more like monitored medicalized birth, that's okay because that is needed in some cases, obviously. But you can still be part of that decision-making process. So you can still say, it's better for me to have an epidural or have a scheduled C-section, but to know that you are part of that decision and not just your provider saying, oh, we have to do this. Sorry. Just being part of the conversation and feeling like you have some power and say in what's happening to you and that it's not just happening to you. It's happening with you involved in it. Yeah. And I think that's a huge mindset shift. So when I was a, I went to um, a birth education course to teach childbirth ed. And I need to get my hands on this study because I, I've referenced it in other times of my life. And the, But the educator said, basically, this study said that we had two women, both had C-sections, and they asked one mother, it was a qualitative study, so it was more like they asked the first woman how she felt about her C-section, emergency C-section, and she said she felt, well, I don't think it was an emergency, but it was still C-section. And she said, well, it's not what I wanted. It went against everything in my birth plan, and I just feel traumatized by it, and I didn't feel involved with the decision And she just felt very negative about her birth. And then they asked another woman who had a very similar experience. And she said, along the lines of, it's not what I wanted. It wasn't part of my plan. But after speaking with the provider, we knew this was the best decision for myself and my baby. And those could have been the exact same birth experiences, maybe the same reasonings for needing a C-section. But at the end of the day, it was the mother who had a more positive experience who felt she had some control or say Mm -hmm. in her birth experience. And I think that's huge. Yeah, I completely agree with that because for my first birth, for example, it was not a planned C-section. I was planning to labor unmedicated and just have a first routine like vaginal birth. This is what you do, right? And C-section wasn't even on my radar. So I think that's what made it so traumatic for me was I didn't think it could happen. I wasn't aware that it could happen. I didn't I didn't know what I didn't know, which is what a lot of people say. Yes. You don't know what you don't know until you know it. <laughs> but then there's also women who have had the same experience as me who didn't think it was traumatic at all. And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to just schedule C-sections from here on out. So it's all about how, how you're perceived you're being treated, not actually how your experience plays out because it's so individual for each person and it's so unique. But I completely agree that if you feel like you have some knowledge or control or say involvement in your birth process, it can reduce that trauma. How do you personally, when you have clients then, how do you guide them to find that strength, I guess? And how do you educate them around that? Because I, I feel like I've said that many times to many different women of you have to understand that there is a risk to everything. And I never liked the term birth plan so much as, mm-hmm. you know, my my birth choices or my what I want my birth experience to be. But having a plan means if I don't follow this plan or something goes wrong, somehow I'm a failure. And I know that sound, but I just know women from working with them, especially in pregnancy, that if it doesn't follow this plan, then somehow it's our fault. How do you educate in what language, I guess, do you typically use if someone's reaching out to you on social media or a client and they're saying, how do you approach that? 
I never want to give a woman anxiety about pregnancy and birth. But unfortunately, Mm -hmm. we know there are risks, very small. They're not as common as we think. Because remember, for every um, 100 births, 99 of them are good experiences, but one of them is not. And it's the one bad experience that you remember and the one that gets shared on social media, right? So, So how do you help guide them, I guess, with that language to have confidence and also just awareness? Yeah. So specifically about birth plans too. I don't like calling them birth plans, but that's just what they're mostly known by. Right. Um, right. I'll say like birth preferences, birth goals, but I always have my clients specifically make like a standard one and then a backup one. And then one in case of a C-section, because for me, like it was the unknowing and like not being aware that something could happen that made it so hard for me. And people don't know, like most of the time, if you're in a normal OBGYN practice, you're not going to have time to sit there and talk for an hour to your provider about all the risks of something. So I always have people make multiple backup plans or backup goals and preferences, but also discussing all the risks and the benefits. So I'm not trying to like scare them. I want them to make benefits as well and that these risks are small, but they can happen, especially surrounding interventions in the hospital. There are risks to all that. So just having them understand the basics, like what their options are to begin with, because a lot of women don't even know what their options are, that there are alternative options. And then having them select like what feels best to them for their birth and what they want to experience, but also knowing that, so we don't have control over this. So things could change. So if they, if things change, how are you going to feel you're going to handle that? So say you don't want an epidural, but you end up exhausted and you choose to have an epidural at that point and your body just needs rest. How are you going to mentally prepare ahead of time for that type of circumstance? So it doesn't feel like a shock to your system. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't want an epidural and now I have to have one. I didn't prepare for this type of thing. Yeah. It brought me back when you were talking to, I was with my third pregnancy. I had kind of a preterm labor scare about 32 weeks. And I commun- I think it's also very important to have those conversations if you have a partner to what your wishes and why you have certain desires. So it's it's written out, obviously. But when we were on our way, I said to my husband, in it's very important value to me if we had a preterm delivery or for some reason I was separated, that my baby um, receive breast milk only. And that's mm-hmm. just, I'm not going to go into that. It's not an anti-formula campaign. I have my very specific reasons why, because my second child also had all these issues with his belly. So I was worried about the third and I was very specific about that. And so I told my husband, I know this is awful to think about, but if we need to be separated, you need to go with him and the baby. And that is a value that is extremely important to me. And like, this is something you need to really stick up for this value for me. It still sticks in my mind. And I don't know why I think it was partially because it was such a hard thing to say to him because being separated from me, he didn't even want to think about that. But I think I've said to my friends, you need to communicate these ideas with your partner as well. So they Mm -hmm. understand the why, because it's written on paper and someone in a nurse just reads it and they're like, oh, this person's deciding to decline whatever. And that's all they see, right? But if if the situation comes up and the mother is separated or is, un, you know, these things unfortunately happen, then your partner can be the advocate for you and mm-hmm. communicate for you. And it's that why, like you said, what you need to keep going back to why you made this decision. And if you can communicate with your partner about that, they can almost advocate for you. And having those conversations ahead of time is so important more related to birth plans and 
birth in general, but also postpartum. Because if you try to make decisions when you're in the thick of it, that's not helpful. Nothing's going to get done effectively. Mm-hmm. So having all these conversations way ahead of time, even like you said, it's awful to think about these possibilities for certain things, but they are possibilities. So we need to be prepared for them. Um, so just having those conversations with your whole birth team, whoever that may be uh, ahead of time on what, how to handle each of those situations. And understanding that you're going to have a lot of hard decisions moving mm-hmm. forward as a mother for the rest of your life. And so as hard as it is to think about all of these things that could happen, the idea is don't let it give you anxiety. The idea is to let it empower you and give you ideas and start making those hard decisions because you are going to have hard decisions for the rest mm-hmm. of your of you being yes. a mother. I had someone asked me, ask me a while back, I did choose to have unmedicated births and I wasn't against if should those situations arise, but I really wanted to have unmedicated birth experience. And I had someone ask me, how did you go about that? If that's my goal, what was your mindset? And my mindset was pretty much like, I know this is going to be probably one of the hardest things that I ever do in my life, but I know things are going to be hard as a mother too. And I almost wanted to like prove it to myself that I could do Mm -hmm. it. And because I knew I was going to have hard decisions moving forward as a mother. And that was my mindset that Mm -hmm. I know women have been doing this for a really long time that I could do it too. And then I just kind of had to accept that this was going to be difficult does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's part of birth. I mean, birth isn't easy. Birth isn't yes. like glamorous. It's no. hard and it's raw and it's messy and it's beautiful. It's everything you could possibly imagine in one rolled up package. And, and, and postpartum as well. That's mm-hmm. yeah. postpartum is yep. beautiful and lovely and hard and same. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So yeah, I completely agree that just knowing knowing your why and like your motivation behind it and everyone's going to have a different reason for why they choose to birth medicated or unmedicated or vaginal or C-section. Mm-hmm. Everyone's reasoning is going to be so different. We're all so unique on what we want out of our birth experiences. So yeah. How do you feel about unmedicated versus medicated births? Because so in my third pregnancy and labor, I had an anesthesiologist come into the room and I was fine with it. I was being, I had to be in, induced, unfortunately. And she came in and she said, and my nurse had known I wanted un- unmedicated birth otherwise. And the lady was nice. And I said, sure, you can come in and talk to me about this. I've, I've got time on my hands. And she said, well, I just want to talk to you about having an epidural because you don't get a a medal for having an unmedicated birth. And I just chuckled in my head because this is my third. So being in that field, I just expected, I knew what they were going to say and I just laughed it off. But later I was just pondering it a little bit more like, wow, I can't believe she just said that to me that no, I don't get a medal for having an unmedicated birth, but I also felt like it was so empowering and so strong. And you can have, you can have an empowering birth, having an epidural as well. Again, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. it's just unmedicated, but this is what I wanted and what I desired. And so for someone to say that to me, it was a little, a little shocking, but how do you feel about if a woman is coming to you and talking to you about, well, I can't decide if I want an epidural or Mm -hmm. not. What are you approaching any of that? talk? Yeah. So, cause I've had both experiences. My first, I had an epidural. I didn't plan to get one, but I ended up getting one. And my second, I went unmedicated. So I always tell people that if, depending on your circumstances, an epidural is a great tool to use. I don't always recommend it as like right out the gate, just get it right away. Just because we do know that there are side effects. It can, it can stall labor. It can make labor go faster. It could affect your pushing. Like there are a lot of risks and benefits, obviously to epidurals. So when someone's coming to me saying, if they say 100%, like I want 
have an epidural. Like, that's what I want. Okay, great. How can I best support you in that process? Because it's not it's not my birth. It's yours. So I'm going to support my clients in whatever they choose. But I want them to know, again, why they're choosing that. Okay, why do you want an epidural? Well, I'm afraid it's going to hurt. Well, yeah, birth has pressures and sensations. And are you open to finding other pain coping mechanisms? Because there is a small chance that your epidural may not work. That is a possibility. And a lot of women go in thinking that they're going to have an epidural and everything is going to be fine when it could either not work, it could not work correctly. There may not be time to get you an epidural depending on how fast your labor goes or if an anesthesiologist is available. So again, just knowing all the options and if for some reason your epidural is not available, how are you going to cope through the pain? How are you going to get through this and not have a traumatic experience because you were expecting to have an epidural? So I never push my clients either way. I just want them to know all the possibilities. It's something, again, we need to think about. I think it's something we don't think about how we would handle the pain. And some people do take birth education classes or courses, but I'm not sure in a lot of traditional, I've actually sat through several of those. It's more the medicalized side. You know, these are your options for pain control. But we don't talk as much to women about that mindset of, you know what, you're going to be pushing a child through your body, through your vagina. It's going to hurt, right? And that's what I used to tell people too. It's normal. It's going to hurt. Pain from this experience is normal. And I've actually heard from, I can't remember where, from like an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense because if pain was painless, then women could be out somewhere unsafe giving birth. But pain was their signal that if you're out working somewhere or you're in an unsafe area and you start to experience pain, you need to be back in a safe area. And that's, I know it sounds silly, but it's true. If it was a painless experience, then we could be in an unsafe situation, but it kind of triggers Mm -hmm. our brain. Okay, now you need to be home because you're going to be having a baby and you and your baby need to be safe. So it's a very innate, normal thing. I think for some women to think about what they will do in those painful situations. What do you talk to them about if someone is looking for an unmedicated birth experience? What are you talking to them about in terms of managing pain otherwise? So the two most important things I think for managing pain, if you do want to go unmedicated, is your breathing. So breath work. That's like one of the main things that I focused on during my second pregnancy. And then like the relaxation and not tension of your body. So I ended up taking a hypnobirthing class, which I always recommend to my clients if they want to go unmedicated. And that doesn't mean like everyone's going to have the same success with a hypnobirthing class, but you can at least learn how to control your breathing and learn how to relax your body when it is tense. So those are like the two main things because a lot of people come to me and say, well, I have a really low pain tolerance. It's not about your pain tolerance. (laughs) It's about how you can control your breathing and your body because my pain tolerance didn't change and I got an epidural right away with my first and I went unmedicated with my second. My pain tolerance is the same. Mm -hmm. So really just that breathing because a lot of women, when they are in pain, they'll start hyperventilating or have uncontrollable breathing or they'll like make high pitched screaming noises versus like the low groans and moans which we know helps open the body, but then also like the tension in your body. So a lot of people grip and grip things or like grit their teeth and that tension will make your pain worse. So really just the the breathing and the relaxation of your muscles. Yeah. And I will tell you from experience, I remember that's why birth to me is so wonderful to talk about because it's so raw. And I I remember from my first birth, almost biting my husband or mm-hmm. he would remember that I almost bit him because I was so tense. My body was tense. And mm-hmm. so with my second was a different situation because we had a precipitous birth almost on the side of the highway in the car. But the third, I said, my goal was really to, when I sat on that ball, the birthing ball, which I did enjoy just sitting on the ball, leaning forward was practicing. I actually practiced a four second breath in and a nine mm-hmm. second breath out 
out. I, I learned that somewhere and it just has always helped me. And then obviously, as I moved more into a transition, the breath was not that long, but I still right. for that because what I was teaching myself was when I was taking those breaths out, I was relaxing, trying to relax my every muscle, including my pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. And that's very hard to do. If someone's listening to this, like, how are you doing that when you're in so much pain? But it's a mindset. I went into it saying, if you do this, you're allowing your body to relax more. So your pain, even your perceived pain, I guess, is less because your muscles, your muscles are more relaxed. And Mm -hmm. I believe that is partially why I have pretty fast labors, because in a way I was visualizing in a way my cervix opening. And Mm -hmm. I know that sounds so silly to some people that you can't visualize that and make that happen. But I feel like because I am relaxed in a relaxed state and thinking and breathing and just saying to myself by relaxing my body, I'm allowing this to happen naturally. It worked. And I, I'm not saying it's going to for every person. It's not a magic thing, it, but it is a mindset. Yeah. One of the big words, like the main words that I use when talking to clients is surrender. You yes. need to surrender to the process, work with it, don't work against it. Like, yes, it's hard. It's hard work. It's painful, but it's temporary. And you need to surrender to it and just let loose, let your body do what it needs to do and just have it go from there. You can each contraction is about a minute or so. You can do anything for that amount of time. Just take each contraction at a time and just surrender with it, not against it. And it's okay to also have exclamations during your birth of, I remember saying, I I can't do this anymore because that's normal. And my, of course, I was going to continue that. But my nurse was wonderful. My husband and like, you're doing, you know, just saying they're like, you're doing an awesome job. You're getting there. You know, you can do this. And even though that didn't change for me what I wanted, it's not like I said, I, I can't do this anymore. I want pain medicine. Even just exclaiming that sometimes is comforting as well. And Mm -hmm. it's okay. I always transition, especially that's where most women are like, nope, I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Nope, I'm, I'm throwing in the towel. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I always remind people that are like going through maybe their first and they're really anxious about birth and pain. It's like, remember, there are women who do this many times. And so as much pain as we say we're in at that time and that we can't do it, some women choose to do it again. You know, mm-hmm. so there's got to be and you do you get a baby at the end. So, yes, um, yeah. <laughs> I love that what you said surrender to the pain, though. That's a fantastic mm-hmm. way, a fantastic word, because that's all you can do is surrender. Mm-hmm. I'll just mention one more thing. It's kind of funny. And a lot of childbirth education classes, they'll have you like put your hand in ice and breathe through like the coldness of the ice. But I actually when I was practicing for my unmedicated birth with my hypno babies, I would get in like freezing cold showers or freezing mm-hmm. cold tubs. Because it's like a shock to your system, similar to a contraction and practice my breathing that way. So I wouldn't be hyperventilating. It would be controlling my breathing through that cold. So that helped me. And I think practicing all this stuff ahead of time before actually in labor is also extremely helpful. That's a great tip. I know cold plunging is like a thing. It's, you know, trendy. But mm-hmm. I never thought of it that way, that you could actually jump in a cold shower and say, OK, I'm going to do this. Maybe you start for 30 seconds. You know, mm-hmm. and then you build up for a minute, a minute and a half or whatever it is. And you just focus on your breath. Mm-hmm. The first experience, we actually were on vacation in Florida. And when I was pregnant, we were in the ocean and the ocean was 
breathing. It was like February. And that's when I thought like, okay, this is an opportunity for me to practice my breathing. That's great. And I do want to transition a little bit though and pivot and talk about one thing that you specifically, I think are passionate about, which is VBAC birth, which Mm -hmm. for anyone who doesn't know is a vaginal birth after cesarean. So I have a few women in my life that I know who've had successful VBACs and I, I think it's incredible to hear their stories. But what is the current evidence and support around VBAC birth? And specifically, how do you support women in wanting this experience? Because I guess I hear varying things and I always have some different providers on their comfort with VBACs. Mm -hmm. So overall, the general recommendation from ACOG, if ACOG is someone you listen to on what you want to do for your medical care, they recommend that VBAC is a safe option for the majority of women, but they recommend it to be done obviously in a hospital and it depends on the hospital. There's been some back and forth on ACOG's definition of having an anesthesiologist readily available in the case of an emergency. But overall, ACOG does recommend VBAC as a safe option for most people. And the issue comes with each individual state and each individual hospital's regulations around VBAC. There are still hospitals that have VBAC bans. I'm in Indiana and it's illegal to VBAC at a birth center. So you either have to be at the hospital or at home. So it's all dependent on each individual state, each individual hospital and each individual provider on what they're going to support. Oh, that's good to know, because I knew that slightly about certain medical centers here in my state won't allow VBAC births. But I think it's because there are rural areas that don't have, say, access to an anesthesiologist on site versus the larger medical centers, which do. So I knew that certain medical centers will say no to a VBAC. But Mm -hmm. um, mainly, so then mainly your support for a woman is what giving her this education. And then also, how do you, are you mentally preparing them much like you mentally prepared yourself? Because in knowing, you must have had in that, in your head, this is what I, again, this is what I want. I want to experience a vaginal birth after cesarean. However, I also know there is a risk that I may need another cesarean. Mm -hmm. So I really, for VBAC clients, I want them to know, again, their motivation for why they want to VBAC. But I also want them to know that because of the circumstances, there's going to be pushback likely on what they want out of their birth, depending on who their provider is and and where they're giving birth and what their pregnancy circumstances are. So just knowing that there's going to be some pushback and how to handle that pushback and really continue to advocate for what they want and why they want it. And it obviously depends on how many C-sections they've had before on how much pushback they're going to get. But a big one for VBAC especially is a lot of women with their C-sections are told that, oh, your pelvis was too small or your baby was too big. That's why you have a vaginal birth. So then in their second pregnancies, especially if they're with the same provider, they're going to get that same, well, your baby's going to be too big. Your pelvis is too small. We should just schedule a repeat C-section. So just educating them on how true those things actually are and that it's still their choice. And if they're wanting to find a new provider, they can switch as late as they want, or they can just show up in labor and have their vaginal birth. But really just giving them the education on you're going to get pushback, but here's how we can handle that. Here's how we can advocate for what you're wanting. And I think I've also said this to people that understand that even if you have to say, be at a specific place for a medicalized birth, that you can still, I was at the like top, I guess, birthing center, probably in my state. And I still had the birth experiences that I wanted. And I think that speaks to just my own confidence. And some people will say, well, that's what you did for a living. So you were educated on those things. But you can have even in a medical, very medicalized setting, as long as you understand your why of why you want things and you can advocate for yourself. 
I did have a question from the audience when I had put something out there on Instagram and someone had said tips for processing a difficult birth unsure baby number two based off first experience. And obviously that could be pregnancy, that could be birth, that could be who knows. But if you have someone that's processing or having still say it's been like four years and they still don't know if they want to have another pregnancy or birth based off their first experience, how would you go about that talking to a woman about that? Yeah. So that's the first step that I always recommend anyone, whether they had a C-section or not, if they had a traumatic or a difficult birth to fully process that experience, because if not, then there's going to be those mental blocks going into your second pregnancy um, or whatever pregnancy it may be in your birth. So whether that be looking at your medical records, that helped me like process extremely well was looking at my records, seeing what happened and trying oh, to understand what happened. That's a great um, tip. Like I got everything, like my surgical report, my nurse notes, like everything, because when you're in it, you don't really remember what's happening, like especially when you're in, in labor land, as people call it. So processing that and discussing it with my doctor, just like seeing, OK, here's what happened. Not that you could change anything and not that you know that anything would be different if something different was done. But just understanding what happened was a huge help for me. And then also, depending on how traumatic or how difficult it was, talking to a therapist, someone outside of your your realm of friends and family that may just say something to make you happy, therapist is going to be very helpful because they're not tied to the situation personally. And then if it's something to where you're hesitant or fearful about the same thing happening again, so say there was a C-section first, you're hesitant about going for a VPAC because it may just end up in another C-section. That is like a, a mindset that a lot of women I have talked to have, like, I don't even want to try for a VPAC because I'm just going to end up with a C-section anyway. I might as well just schedule it. And first of all, I want them to know like, okay, well, do you just truly want a C-section? Like, that's fine. If you want to just schedule one, do it. But if you truly want a back, yes, there's that potential that you may end up in a C-section, but you can also set your birth goals and preferences for a C-section. So in the event you need a C-section, how do you want that birth to look? A gentle C-section is, is what it's called or a family-centered cesarean. Um, so I have people make plans for that as well. And just knowing, yes, a C-section is a possibility and we need to discuss how you want to handle that if it comes to that and what you want that birth to look like so it can be an empowering experience for you as well. Yeah, I love, again, going back to how you originally put it as taking ownership and responsibility and decision responsibility, because when I was talking to someone else in an interview, she said that she was felt like she was robbed of her experience compared to other friends and family. And I just that word stuck with me because I could feel it. That's what she mm -hmm. felt. She was robbed of everything. So going forward in a different pregnancy and delivery experience, I was thinking about your interview of how I would step because it's all connected, again, this mindset and how to support women in getting the experience that they want, but also understanding and being very realistic. I have a really hard time striking that balance with people of mm -hmm. empowering them with the information, but in not overwhelming them, but understanding it's a very, does that make sense? It's a very fine, fine balance of being empowered and not feeling overwhelmed with the information out there about things that could go wrong, but being involved in your decision making and how that can give you an empowered experience, regardless of it's an emergency C-section, which mm -hmm. or, or a repeat cesarean versus a vaginal birth being induced, needing an epidural, whatever it is. There are so many 
factors that we just don't have a control over. And Mm -hmm. that's not to say that to give a woman anxiety. It's truly just understanding the possibilities are there, but you do have decision-making power. No one's going to know all the information and all the possibilities and all the things that are going to happen. So even if someone feels too, too much anxiety trying to gather all the information, even something as simple as they're presented with something in birth and their nurse or their provider or whoever just consults them about what's happening. So they know what's happening to their body and to their baby and to the situation. So even if they're not aware of all their options, at least they're listened to and what they want and they're consulted and like the decision. So instead of saying, oh, well, we have to induce you, we'll just say, okay, induction is an option here. Here's all the risks and benefits. And at least you're listened to and consulted and it's not just sprung on you and something's just happening to you without your involvement. And I think there's a very respectful way of going about that. And I think that's where some women have struggles too, is like, fine, they don't want to come off as confrontational with Mm -hmm. the provider, but you can really respectfully say, I hear you, but I want to ask you this and this is why. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. As you said, you're hiring them. (laughs) You have to tap into that mom gut and there's no time like the present to Mm -hmm. tap into that gut now because in pregnancy, it's go time. You're making Mm -hmm. decisions just like you're going to have to make hard decisions when that baby is born. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's time. Yeah. And like I always tell people, like personally, I'd rather be known as difficult and confrontational than having something happen to me that I don't want to happen. That's a great way to put it. I would much rather speak up and be a little bit rude than (laughs) have something happen to me or my baby that I don't want to happen. So it's just getting out of that people pleasing good girl mentality and getting into that more empowered and and mother mentality. So, yeah, I know when I've been to places, they look at me and we had a negative, unfortunately, experience with my husband at one point. And they looked at me and said, you know, you're in the medical field, aren't you? And, And because of the way we tend to communicate things a little differently because of that's the way we're taught. So it just comes mm-hmm. natural. And in my birth experiences, though, I, I remember saying specifically to the nurses, like, you have to understand I'm not trying to be difficult, but I'm a nurse. And and this is we think a little bit differently or and that's not to say you can't also be that way just because you're not a nurse. But I mm-hmm. was very open. And when I was pushing back on either nurse intervention or doctor intervention, I was just very clear, like, I'm not trying to be difficult, but this is what I want. And you can, mm-hmm. again, say that in a respectful way. So yeah. Awesome. Well, do you have anything? I do want to give you a chance also to talk about your business. You have a website, your Instagram, where people can find you. I want to give you an opportunity to give that information to people should they want to chat with you or follow up with you. Yeah. So my website is ebbandflowbirthco.com. And then my Instagram is at ebbandflowbirthco. I also have a podcast, The Ebb and Flow Birth Show with Hannah Gill. So yeah, that's where you can find me. And I take clients virtually. I take clients in person. I'm in Indiana. So there's a lot of different ways to connect with me and work with me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I love chatting birth and I love chatting birth with you. You're so eloquent and calm. I can just feel like the energy of Mm -hmm. this is what you're meant to do. This is what you've been pulled to do. Oh, yes. It's a passion for sure. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Holly. Thank you for listening in today. And I hope you'll be back. Stay curious, stay humble, and always lead with empathy. Please also take a moment to share this episode with someone, this podcast, write a review or comment on my latest Instagram post at hollylogan underscore health. Thank you. Have an awesome day.